Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. No, Gavin, we're not going to blaze up during the show. The last time you got high, you locked yourself in the bathroom because you got paranoid that ice was coming for you. Ass. The following podcast contains... Now, I had heard that word at least ten times a day from my old man. My father worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clay. It was his true medium, a master. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you legalized weed in New Jersey but not in New York, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 286, One Toke Over the State Line, Sweet Jesus edition of the show, where we talk about the only real winner in this year's election, Potheads. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Fast Eddie's House of Herb, where sticky, hairy, and stinky doesn't just apply to the dancers at our gentlemen's club. Fast Eddie's Herb House is the your go-to dispensary in New Jersey for dank nugs and kind bud. With locations in Hoboken, Fort Lee, Jersey City, South Orange, and any other city in Jersey with a direct rail link to New York City. Why wait for Anthony Cuomo to get around to legalizing it when you can hop aboard the PATH train to Havana right here at Fast Eddie's Herb House. So head across the river, New Yorkers, for the finest chronic in all of Jersey. Get an edible to go and bliss out with Fast Eddie's House of Herb. No stems, no seeds that you don't need. Acapulco Gold is... <laughs> Bad as we. I smoked a lot of doty in high school. I mean, just a stunning amount of grass, really, because I had a friend whose dad had a grow shed. It was kind of their family business. Big Jim, as he was called, grew a sweet sativa he called Desert Sagebrush. And when you blaze that in a J, the whole fucking world just came supremely mellow, man. Mellow greetings. Little Jim handled the youth market, selling small amounts to his friends and providing special orders for a trusted few. That's how I became a very small-time drug dealer for about a year, mostly trading cheap smoke for access to the cool kid click. It was all just very social. And of course, that came to a screeching halt when I joined the military because as much as I liked Alice B. Toklas, I liked not being in jail far more. The lies that I told my recruiter... Oh, no, sir. Never use drugs. Almost balanced out the lies he told me, so there's a kind of a karmic null there. In an ironic twist of a lifetime, they made me a cop. I had a simple rule when it came to Bomba. If you weren't in the military, I didn't bust you for having alligator cigarettes. So all the punk-ass kids like me were fine. But fuck you if you were in the military. If I can't smoke, neither can you. Later, during my time as a campus cop, I routinely told students not to do drugs where anyone could see them. Honestly, Close your fucking dorm room door, people. These days, I don't really smoke anymore. It isn't because I don't want to smoke. It's kind of because I don't want to hassle with the blind blaze from the kind of people you have to buy Aunt Mary from New York. You can't just have a pure monetary relationship with your dealer. You gotta pretend to like him. Let my dealer shower at your apartment. 
They want to hang out with you and have inane herb conversations with them when all I really want to do is give them money, take my Indian hip, and get pleasantly toasty in the privacy of my own brain. Because no one and I definitely include myself in this category, is interesting when they are high. So if I can pick up some from a friend, I will take it, but I don't have a regular source for my jolly green. But pod friends, that is all about to change because New Fucking Jersey legalized boo-boo Bama this week, and now I have a reason to go to New Jersey. I can't believe I even said that. Drugs had a big week across the country. Along with New Jersey, Arizona, Montana, and South Dakota all voted to legalize recreational use of marijuana. We gonna get a high high, yes sir. In Oregon, they decriminalized all drugs, including cocaine and heroin. Meaning you won't be charged for possession of small amounts for personal use, but you could still be hooked up and locked up for distribution. In Washington, D.C., they voted to legalize mushrooms. Mushrooms, dude! Honestly, if any city in this dumb country needs a good shroom trip, it's Washington, D.C. Can you imagine Ted Cruz tripping balls on shrooms and achieving universal consciousness? I, I, I mean, no. I, I really, I can't. All told, 15 states, Guam, Washington, D.C., and the Northern Mariana Islands have legalized killer green bud outright. It's decriminalized in another 16 states, and only Idaho and Nebraska lack medical marijuana laws. And Nebraska has even decriminalized possession for personal use, but has refused to pass a law just outright, outright legalizing sweet smoke. That doesn't make any sense. Eh, they're probably high. Despite all of this, marijuana remains a Schedule One drug in federal law, meaning the drug has a high potential for abuse and no currently accepted medical practice or accepted safety for use. We all know that's crazy, but the feds are telling medical, medical doctors and scientists... Yeah, well, you know, that's just like... Uh your opinion, man. There's a ton of credible scientific evidence for using Chiba in a myriad of medical applications from appetite stimulation and chemo patients to anxiety relief to trimmer control and Parkinson's sufferers to easing chronic pain without the use of opioids, right down to just making life in this fucking timeline more manageable. There's absolutely no reason that Crippy shouldn't should be a Schedule 1 drug and considerable evidence it should be categorized and controlled exactly like booze. Huh. Oh, but it's not for kids. Though I personally believe a nice edible would make nap time easier for everyone, but that's me, not a parent. So, if 49 out of 50 states and most of our territories have in some form or another legalized or decriminalized grass, why is it still illegal on the federal level? To answer that question, you have to look at why it was ever criminalized in the first place. Because of racism. Give that producer a prize because indeed good old-fashioned American racism is the reason. For centuries, left-handed cigarettes were used medicinally and its low-THC cousin hemp grown as a cash crop used in ropes, canvases, and even making paper. Old George Washington grew hemp on his plantation. Well, his slaves grew it, but George pocketed the money. Hemp was a good cash crop, easy to grow in marginal land, and useful as fuck for so many things. And everything was fine until... Some white people got scared. From a November 4th article in Business Insider, quote, In the early 1900s, an influx of Mexican immigrants came into the U.S. for fleeing political unrest in their home country. With them, they brought the practice of smoking cannabis recreationally, and it took off. The Spanish word for the plant started to be used more often, too, marijuana, although it was spelled that time with an H. This is when the more sensational headlines about the drug began to appear, unquote. 
it didn't take long for the media to gin up a good old-fashioned fucking moral panic over the sweet sticky, culminated in the seminal Hollywood classic 1936's Reefer Madness. These high school boys and girls are having a hop at the local soda fountain. Innocently, they dance. Innocent of a new and deadly menace lurking behind closed doors. Marijuana, the burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. If you want a good smoke, try one of these. You will meet Bill who once took pride in his strong will as he takes the first step toward enslavement. Of course, if you're afraid. Smoking the soul-destroying reaper, they find a moment's pleasure, but at a terrible price. Debauchery, violence, Murder. Suicide. And the ultimate end of the marijuana addict. Hopeless insanity. See this important film now. Before it is too late. If you have never seen Reefer Madness, I cannot urge you enough to twist a fatty and hunker down with a bag of chips and take in this high fucking hilarious movie like so many potheads have done before you for decades. The net effect of the great moral panic was 1937's Marijuana Tax Act, the bringing child of one Harry J. Anslinger, a virulent racist dick nodule and OG narc. I mean, Anslinger was so fucking racist that even back in the 30s, dudes in KK hoods were like... That dude was hardcore racist, like 1800s Disney style. There had been local laws and taxes before 1937, and even some federal laws, but Anslinger's little law created the modern drug war way back in 37. His game plan was simple, amplifying the general fears of white people with lurid stories of violence committed against plain and simple, decent white folks. Where have I heard that before? Well, every single fucking Republican running for office over the last 50 years. Let me read to you some of Anslinger's rhetoric from speeches and his radio announce appearances from the time. Quote, By the tons of it, it is coming into this country. The deadly, dreadful poison that racks and tears not only the body, but the very heart and soul of every human being who once becomes a slave to it or any of its cruel and devastating forms. Marijuana is shortcut to the insane asylum. Smoke marijuana cigarettes for a month, and what was once your brain will be nothing but a storehouse of horrid specters and hashish makes of their murder of those who kill for the love of killing out of the mildest matted man who ever laughed at the idea that any habit could ever get to him. Unquote. Then there's the story about the Florida man who murdered his family, a guy named Victor Licata. Quote, An entire family was murdered by a youthful addict in Florida. When officers arrived at home, they found the youth staggering around in a human slaughterhouse with an axe. He had killed his father, mother, two brothers, and a sister. He seemed to be in a daze. He had no recollection of committing the multiple crimes. The officers knew him ordinarily, saying, rather the quiet young man. He was now pitifully crazed. 
They sought the reason, and the boy said he had been in the habit of smoking something which youthful friends called Muggles, a childish name for marijuana, unquote. That's right, pod friends. Harry Potter is a story about Magic Dragon. Why do you think Rowling named him Harry Potter? But I hear you saying, Dave, you said he was racist. Where's the racism? Well, let's try this. Quote, colored students of the University of Minnesota partying with white female students smoking marijuana and getting their sympathy with stories of racial persecution. Result, pregnancy. Two Negroes took a girl 14 years old out and kept her two days under the influence of him. Under recovery, she was found to be suffering from syphilis. Reefa makes darkies think they're as good as white men. That's incredibly racist. Super racist. Of course. Our modern drug war came into being through the auspices of a different but equally insidious racist piece of shit. President Richard Nixon. Tricky Dick had many enemies, but two he loathed in particular. The first, of course, were the ungrateful uppity Negro with their annoying demands for things like constitutional rights and their tilt to Democrats after being loyal Republicans so long, despite the fact that Republicans became the party of and for white people. And his other enemy, of course... And what they came up with to take them both down was a really fucking racist stereotype that they just totally fucking made up about both parties and the devil's lettuce. John Ehrlichman, Nixon aide and convicted Watergate conspirator, summed it up in a 2016 Harper's Magazine interview with author Dan Baum. Quote, you want to know what this is really all about, he asked, with the bluntness of a man who, after public disgrace in a stretch in federal prison, had little left to protect. The Nixon campaign in 68 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did, unquote. Wow, that was honest. The Nixon administration and Congress wrote up the Controlled Substances Act of 1971. They laid out the schedule system of classifying drugs, established the legal framework to pass laws against possession, sale, and trafficking, and created the Drug Enforcement Administration to be the lead agency for handling drug investigations internationally and domestically, though the bulk of enforcement was left to states and local jurisdictions. It was also one hell of a tool to use against minorities, not so much because minorities use drugs more than white people, but rather because the criminal justice system is extremely racist. If you want proof... Look no further than the Reagan administration and just say no. That's a good pot for you. No. Cocaine? No, thanks. Yo, my man, you want some nudes? No way. If someone offers you drugs, instead of saying something you really don't mean, just say no. Got some cents a million for you. No. No. No big production number. Just say no. You'd be surprised how well it works. Hot. No. You might notice the drug dealer was noticeably black during that ubiquitous commercial because, again, the entire program was designed towards white kids because it was, again, super racist. While white kids were being told to just say no, you want to know what black kids were being told at the same time? Get up against the wall! Get up against the wall! 
Thanks to crack in particular, the drug enforcement felt wildly disproportionate against the communities of color, despite clear evidence that white folks used just as many drugs, if not more, than minorities. I mean, the penalties for crack were exponentially harsher than the same or less amounts of powder cocaine, and the only reason anyone could think of was... Because you're black. Exactly. Black people use crack, and white people use powder. And it was possession of Keefe that drove the majority of arrests for one primary reason. People like to smoke colorforta style, particularly young people. And if you want to systematically oppress young people of color, having harsh drug laws for possession of fucking marijuana is just the fucking tool to do it with. Let me assure you that no one was stamming little Jim and little Dave against the wall and turning out our pockets in Mountain Home, Idaho in 1986 because we were a couple of white kids and someone might get upset. The cops did not then and do not now have the same reticence to do so in Watts or here in Harlem, despite New York City's pretended criminalization of Kulikin possession. Young minority men are still getting jacked up by the NYPD on the pretext of holding ganja. So when did the... Legalization! Movement really begin? Well, as soon as the first laws were passed, actually, a strange coalition of, li of civil libertarians and potheads began to coalesce back in the 60s. After the DCA became law, the government's own study declared chronic really just wasn't all that bad. Nixon's own Schaefer Commission said it was like, brah, you're way harsh than the kind, bud, man. It's all good. Have a token to smile and chill out, brah. And, uh, and that commission actually led to the first wave of decriminalization by the states during the 1970s. Hell, Mr. Green was legal in Alaska by 1975. During the Carter administration, there was a big push to take rainy day women off the haters list, which unfortunately fell apart when Carter's main advisor was found to be indulging in bumps of, of a little Bolivian marching powder at a Christmas party. But shit, it was the 70s. Everyone was doing it. The 80s saw most of these decriminalization efforts fall apart. Even Alaska recriminalized Diembista in the throes of the Reagan years. And of course, who could forget the license snatches and snatching laws? Quote, in 1980, the Solomon Lautenberg Amendment was enacted at the federal level, leading many states to further criminalize cannabis by passing smoke-a-joint loser license laws. These, lies, these laws impose mandatory driver's license suspensions of at least six months for committing any type of drug offense, regardless of whether or not a motor vehicle was involved, including the simple possession of cannabis, unquote. Again, these were a direct shot at minority communities, where any fucking pot arrest would invariably lead you to other charges like driving without a license because you gotta get to fucking work and this country has a shit public transportation system. Things were pretty grim for a long time. But then, medical marijuana laws began passing in the late 1990s. But still, no love for recreational use of the Sensamia until the dam finally began to break in the 2010s. From Wikipedia, quote, in 2012, success was finally achieved for legalization advocates in the state of Washington and Colorado when voters approved Initiative 502 and Amendment 64. In subsequent years, cannabis was legalized by ballot measure in Oregon, Alaska, the District of Columbia, California, Nevada, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota, and by an act of the legislature in Vermont, the Northern Marianas Islands, Guam, and Illinois. And all of these jurisdictions, commercial distribution of cannabis has been legalized except for the District of Columbia. Personal cultivation is permitted in all except Washington State. Public consumption and use by individuals under 21 are prohibited in all states. Although, on-premises consumption is allowed in some jurisdictions. Not by people under 21, meaning you, you can eat an edible at a dispensary if in some places. 
So that's where we are now. It's still illegal to use, possess, and sell good giggles in the United States of America. Punishable by fines and jail time. You certainly can't transport it across state lines for any reason, though fucking people do it every goddamn day. Billions of dollars are being invested in the green industry by Wall Street hedge funds and investment banks. My own day job has a team that handles green transactions advisories. The feds, even under President Shit and his fecal minions, have just kind of turned a blind eye to the whole thing, even when people like Jeff Plantation Mama Sessions really wanted to crack down. And now more states are legalizing all the time. The genie is not only officially out of the bottle, but he's using his lamp for a bong for some primo fucking Humboldt. Want to hit this? What changed? Why over the past few years has the devil's ditch weed become all of a sudden legal and ubiquitous? Well, once Washington and Colorado sparked the bowl, all the people all around the country were like, I mean, we want to get high too. And no one likes to be the sober one at a party and face it with a country circling the bowl of the shitter like a recalcitrant turd. We all need a little spliff to take the edge off. But more than anything else, the reason why legalization is sweeping the nation is fucking Wall Street. They realize there's real money to be made in Pacalolo. Goldman fucking Sachs is a managing director of Mary Jane. So yeah, it's gonna get legal when they want in on the game. In California, the home of the finest rosemary in the world, the farmers who risk jail for generations just to keep deadheads in the best cush available are being steadily run out of business by the corporations who could afford the staggering fees and licensing requirements put in place by legalization. Many of them had to turn back to the black market just to stay afloat. All the while, grow houses are blossoming in the desert, funded by rich pricks that voted for the kind of shitbags that made Dora Dilla illegal in the first place. Right now, estimates put the global laughing grass market at nearly $30 billion by 2027 and over $100 billion by 2050, and that's based on current laws standing not, fed not overall federal legalization. If the feds drop the schedule... All bets are off. People are justifiably worried that the oligarchy might be taking control of the sin Spanish business because they see it happening already and it's only going to get worse as it gets bigger. I figure in 10 years, you will be brand buying branded gash from Coke and Pepsi. Are you high? From a 2018 article in Forbes, quote, Coca-Cola has its eye on the cannabis market. BNN, Blo BNN Bloomberg reported this week that the American soft drink giant is in talks with the Canadian company Aurora, Aurora Cannabis to produce drinks enhanced with cannabidol, or CBD, a chemical in marijuana leaves that doesn't create a high but shows promise for therapeutic and medicinal applications, including pain and stress relief. While declining to confirm the specifics, a Coke spokesman acknowledged the company was broadly interested in the boom in cannabis space. We're watching closely the growth of non-psychoactive CBD as an ingredient in functional wellness beverages around the world, unquote. I mean, no one should be surprised. This is a company and a beverage that started off by giving people cocaine and fizzy. By the end of the decades, we'll all be buying weedatinos at Starbucks and smoking sweet cheerio in our Apple iPipes and donning our hemp slacks infused with CBD for wellness from Abercrombie and Fitch for anxiety relief. And all this time, people were worried about the government getting us all hooked on Soma when Wall Street was busy making sure we'd blaze the dinky Dow order directly from Amazon using their new Smoke Up app. We will be buying edibles at Dunkin' Fucking Donuts. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I'll have a Humboldt Sprinkle Bear Claw and, <laughs> and like a dozen doobie holes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Give me a large weed of colada. Sweet, bro. Thanks. 
And then there'll be me just walking around grumbling because I will be too old to work all this new weed technology and still be twisting my own fatties bitching about kids today don't know what a Shrek's pube really is and how easy they have it. But you know what? At least I won't have to hang out with Trevor on my couch while he tries to explain to me his theory on why fish is actually an extra-dimensional entity sent here to guide humanity into a higher plane of existence. Jesus, Trevor. You know what? Never mind. I'll just go over to the bodega and buy a box of Wheaties instead. (laughs) That is it for our show this week. Like what I did there? I went the entire show without, you know mentioning it i did this for many reasons mostly because like you i have no fucking idea what it will be what it means for the future and what we could do about it and by it i'm of course referring to the upcoming holiday christmas season oh dear god no and of course the election sorry i think no matter what my political days are done well and truly done it came off just came off a month of our plus shows of the best shows I think we've ever done, and I'm not mentioning politics. And I would like to keep the streak going by talking about other cool stuff and avoiding the harsher realities of the world. Speaking of harsh realities, rate and review the show wherever you get your pods. It helps other fi- others find the show and experience the harsh realities of listening to this dumb podcast. Follow us on the socials for more disappointments at the Hell underscore Podcast on Twitter and the show name on Facebook. If you can get past all the Nazis at the fucking door of Facebook. All of our shows are at whatthehellpodcast.com, and if you want to chip in for our weed budget, kick us a buck at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Get the show ad-free and early every week, and for a few joints more, some cool swag. So for me, Dave, Reverend Greenblood So, producer Joy Smoke Gavin, and all the fictional farmers of foo on this show, we want to say we're waiting on the train to go to Hoboken, Sweet Mary. Hoping that the train is on time. We're coming home from Hoboken. One toke over the line. We'll see you guys like, yeah, man, like, I don't know, maybe next week and stuff. All right. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.